Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by our good friends at Exterior Home Solutions. We appreciate their continued support of VolQuest, and we encourage you, if you're in East Tennessee, to give those guys a call and support them. You can give them a call today at 865-524-5888. That's 865-524-5888. They they take care of all the things you need. Your number one choice in roofing in East Tennessee. If you've got a deck you need to add on, you got a fence, Whatever you got going on, they can check it out. They can take care of you at Exterior Home Solutions. We've got a bunch of questions to get to in the mailbag. I'm joined by Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Grant Ramey, and we'll get started here. Out of the gate, guys, we're going to bounce around to some football and some basketball, plenty of stuff, but we'll start with NWGA Vol. That's Northwest Georgia Vol, and he wants to know, how much does adding Brazil stays, and Hurd change the outlook of the offense for 24 AP, that's assuming Hurd comes here. What does it change the offense? Well, I think it definitely it, it makes them better up front um, with Hurd. Um, you know, uh, providing that one finishes out, right? I mean, you know, he's yet to officially announce anything, but uh, again, continue to feel great about Tennessee's um, spot there. Um, and then, you know, if, if Brazel produces at the same rate he did at Tulane, um, on the outside, big play, big body, go up and get it, 50-50 ball winner. Um, that helps, you know, stays to me is the one kid that I, 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 I wouldn't say a question. I just, there's an unknown there because he came from Notre Dame, different type of offense. Um, you know, here they, they just, you know, they use their tight ends a little bit differently. So, you know, I think he's got great upside and potential. I just think you have to kind of see it, right? Like, um, you know, he, he's done some really nice things, but to, to do it in this offense, I think would be a, you know, a, a change. And so, you know, I think that there's a, an uptick for the offense, adding any of those playmakers. All right. If, if Hurd comes here, Grant Ramey, is, is Hurd and stays important? Their importance 1A, 1B, and then Chris Brazel is not as important because when you look at the, the bodies that they have and the depth that they have at those spots, yeah, probably. I don't. I don't know what to think of Brazel yet. I kind of got burned on Dante Thornton, and obviously Brazel's produced at a much higher clip than Dante did at Oregon, and that made a little bit more sense after we saw Dante. But yeah, it does feel like one A and one B with those two because, and what I'm interested to see with Nico, they only had two tight end targets in the Citrus Bowl, and I don't know what their average targets were through the regular season with Joe or with Hendon uh, the last couple of years. I'm interested to see how much they target the tight end early next season and, and how much that number goes up compared to what we saw from, from Nico's first start. And obviously that could be just because it was his first start, but I think Brazel's the exciting addition, but I do think one, a one B is, is probably offensive line and tight end just because of what you said, the depth and how much you needed to address those spots. I think it all works hand in hand because I think that sure. part the citrus bowl, they had to leave some of those tight ends in to kind of block because they weren't as good up front. Right. So like, sure. you know, herd helps out which allows stays to go out, you know, which, you know, I mean, it all kind of, it all kind of works. So, I mean, like, I, I think they're all important. I would tell you that I think Brazel's, <sighs> Brazel's probably behind Hurd for me. Um, and that's because I just think Tennessee wasn't very dynamic at wide receiver this past year. 
I thought it was very much 2007 balls, which is, you know, we've talked about that, which is when they had Lucas Taylor and Quinn Hancock and Josh Briscoe and, and Austin Rogers, um, you know, good solid players, but they didn't have elite athletes out on the outside. Right. And so I think that, you know, Brazel's got the possibility to be an elite guy on the outside. Yeah. To, to me, I've got to take stage just because of the importance of the tight end to the offensive, to, to, to this offense. I mean, they don't play four wide. Uh, I mean, they're, they're playing with a tight end all the time on the field. And I don't, I don't think Ethan Davis, I mean, they, they split equally two tight ends last year, over 600 snaps a piece. So I, I just think that that they've got to hit with stays, he, whether he produces 30 catches or not. I mean, he's got to be able to play in there and, and be productive. So that's where I would go one a and one B. Um, but they certainly have to get more explosive on the outside. We got, I've got more on that later today. Uh, in a football story that I'm doing. Let's go to I Sam. See. Huh? Yeah. Little tease there. Sam Smith, 2233, uh, has got a couple of hoops questions here. Rob, we'll start with you. Scout on Alabama for this weekend, and do we start to see Frederick take Ganey's minutes and any concern about this basketball team lacking any depth, Rob Lewis? Well, starting with Freddie, I mean, I think you're already seated, you know, take some of his minutes. I mean, it's not like Freddie's playing a ton right now, but I, I think if you broke it down, it's probably – you know, Ganey that, that he's taking him from. And, you know, Jordan's played a lot less, you know, in the last, you know, two weeks than, than he was in November. I mean, significantly less. Um, and, you know, I think Rick is, Rick is giving Freddie a chance. I mean, he's not giving him a, a ton of chances, but I, I think pretty clearly he's trying to give Freddie an opportunity to take some minutes from Zakai so that Zakai's not playing 35, 37 minutes a game. And, you know, Freddie's going to have to seize it. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't terrible yesterday, but he wasn't, he wasn't great. I mean, he had a defensive breakdown, he had a turnover. And, I, and I'm not trying to be hypercritical uh, of Freddie, but, you know, every time he goes out there, it's kind of an audition for him. And he, he, he needs to be pretty sound if he wants to see those minutes increase. Um, as for Alabama, you know, it's typical, they're going to shoot a ton of threes. Um, they're, they're scoring. Excuse me. They're scoring all kinds of points. I mean, they scored ninety plus, you know, against Missouri on on Tuesday night. Mark Sears is is a high volume shooter, leading scorer in the SEC at just under twenty points a game. Uh, not nearly as good as they have been, but you know, they they play NATO's basketball. I mean, I, Tennessee going to be on, you know, defensively, it's going to be a challenge. But you know, Florida came in here scoring almost eighty seven points a game. Uh, you know, this week in, in Tennessee just absolutely took it behind the woodshed defensively. So, you know, I, the way Tennessee is playing defense right now against these teams that that are, are so offensively ori- oriented and, and especially, you know, teams that, that rely so much on the three like like Bama does, I, I like Tennessee in these matchups. I mean, Tennessee is either first or second in the SEC and defended the three-point line, depending on what Mississippi State, you know, did over the weekend. I haven't gone back and looked, but they're, they're holding teams to under 30%. Shooting from behind the arc, Alabama lives and dies with a three. So g- give me the balls to, to make life tough on them. Because of Alabama's style of play, Grant, do you think this sets up for a potential another 30-point game because they want to get up and down the floor and, that, and Connect's going to have opportunities, more opportunities? Uh, I see no reason why not after the last three games we've seen him play, 28, 36, and 39. I mean, that's a pretty crazy heater. Uh, and for him to be back home and to play a, a, a game that's going to be up and down with that matchup, like yeah. you talked about. I mean, at one point, Alabama was number one in Ken Palm offense and like number 102 defensively. I think they're up to in the 60s or something like that. So they've improved a little bit in those numbers. Uh, but it's going to be up and down. It should be um, 
I don't know, a lot of offense. Obviously, Tennessee's going to try to deny Alabama's offense because that's what they do with Rick Barnes. But, yeah, if, if, if it gets up and down and it turns into a Mark Sears versus Dalton Connect, it, it could be a lot of points on both ends. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call an Omaha here before we go to the next question. I'm gonna ask my own mailback question to to Rob and, and Grant. Grant, you mentioned you kind of got burned by the Dante Thornton love affair, right? Um, and, and this is the beautiful part of the transfer portal, right? I mean, it can give it, it can take it away, it can be a home run, it can be a, a, a swing and a miss. What what surprises you the most about Dalton Connect? Rob, jump in here too. What surprises you guys the most? about Dalton Connect after seeing him play for two months and, and him being on campus for six months? Probably his confidence, um, his just kind of being that dude. I mean, and, and we we heard stories about this out of Pratt Pavilion back in the spring. There was one story where it was one of the first workouts that they were in and, and Connect was out there. And basically somebody said, yeah, you, you've scored like you have against other uh, – you know, not, not at this level, I guess. And basically Dalton said, somebody come out here and try to stop me. And basically they started putting money on it and, and Dalton took somebody to the rack and scored and he started flashing the money signs, like pay me my money. Like that's the kind of confidence and kind of edge that he has as just some kid from the Colorado suburbs is, is crazy to me. So that's the most surprising, obviously his production and, you know, for him to have the dip that he had for three or four games in December and to come back and, and to do what he's done the last three games, 103 points and, you know, all these 20-point halves and scoring 20 out of 22 against Florida in the final seven minutes of that first half. I mean, it's crazy what he's doing, but just the fact that he has that edge to him, he's as good as – he knows how good he is, and he goes out and shows it. Rob, what about for you? Well, to me, it's the versatility. I mean, just this – I mean, I'm trying to – I mean, not the fact that he's a multi-level scorer, but, just, you know, the – the way he finishes at the rim, you know, you look at some of the left-handed, you know, drives and left-handed finishes. The way he takes, you know, t- is able to take contact and and get to the line. I just, you know, I, I I'm not saying I didn't think he was a good athlete. I'd seen him, you know, enough, you know, in traffic ducks and things like that to know that he was more than just a spot-up shooter. But everything that happens, I guess, in between the three-point line and the rim, I, I didn't, I didn't know he had all that to his game. Didn't suspect he had all that to his game. The way, you know, the one. The one and one he had yesterday in the first half where he, you know, kind of turn around, takes contact and throws it high up off the glass. Or the one I don't even think it counted. The one the left handed yeah. where he got fouled and you know threw it almost off the shot clock. It's <laughs> a crazy stupid angle. Just the you know, the the breadth of, of his offensive game. I, I did not know it was there. I mean, again, I knew he could shoot, I knew he could, you know, get to the rack and surprise some people with you know with, with traffic ducks and things like that, but just the the all around, the, the multi ways that he can score, I, I had no idea. It, he's he's an artist. It, it was wild. I mean, I was sitting there, and the guy beside of me, who happened to be a ballquester, he says, you know, he's due for about a seven point game. He says this, okay? He has two, right? And then fourteen points in like four minutes, and I and the guy on the other side looks at me and goes, "You pissed him off." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it was, I mean, it was like, I mean, he is kind of like the starter version of, of, of the microwave. Like, I mean, he – and, and Hubs brought up a great point on the board and, and, and other stuff. Like, he doesn't, like – he doesn't force a lot of shots. Like, I was watching the two-minute drill. That's where it was. Or the fast break. Um, You know, I mean, like, all of a sudden, he's, like, one for one. Then all of a sudden, he's nine for ten, and it's like, boom. I mean, yeah. like, he, he just doesn't force he, things. He lets it come. He's, he scored with 17, 11, 
left in the first half, I think, against Florida. He didn't score again until 7.05. So for that set, final 7.05, he scored 20 points. 20 out of 22. There are only two J.P. Estrella free throws. Nine yeah. for 10 from the field. Three for three from the three-point line. Something like that. I mean, that's that's absurd to me that how how much he produced in such a short amount of time. I mean, it felt like anything he put up was going in. Yeah, I mean, 20 points in, you know, seven minutes. When you go 10 minutes without taking a shot in a, in a half of college basketball is just – kind of bananas to me all right onward we go to nashville 615 question regarding my red zone piece why the start drop off what can tennessee do to be better in the red zone area uh, to me it starts in two areas one they've got to be more physical in the run game and short yardage that's where they miss jerome carvin and darnell Wright. and two grant your quarterback can't complete 40 percent of his throws in the red zone you got to be more productive throwing the football in the red zone yeah, you got to be better. That's where it starts for me, quarterback play. I mean, what what Tennessee was used to in 2021 and 2022, obviously, took a little bit of a drop-off in, in 2023. And, it, and it's got to get back there in 2024. And it's Nico's going to be young, and he's going to be learning on the fly a bit. But but you got to be better there. you got to be better decision-makers. you got to be – I mean, I think everybody has to be a little bit better, but I think it starts in quarterback. All right, question number two. When do you think GMAC knew he was going to hop in the boat? What are some of the critical experiences – that are going to get this one or has gotten this one across the finish line. Obviously, he's not committed yet. Uh, Austin, Tennessee appears to be in good shape. What what has been the key for Tennessee's recruitment of George McIntyre, in your opinion? I think if you ask George McIntyre, he would tell you he's still not made yet made a decision. Um, that that George's again. I've said this. If George ever learns to play poker, pal, he'll take Vegas for all they're worth because that kid is unbelievable. Like as far as just he just doesn't he doesn't shows no emotion. Um, you know, I, I think that what got this one uh, in to this point, yeah, what, what got this one in the position that it's in right now um, is, is, you know, the fact that, you know, he's just very comfortable here. It was, you know, lengthy conversations with Josh Heupel, lengthy set downs and hangout sessions with Josh Heupel when he would come on campus. Whereas like you go to Alabama and no offense to coach Saban, he kind of had his method. Um, which is more like, you know, it's more structured, right? I mean, Nick Saban, every moment of Nick Saban's day is like, all right, from this, you know, from 305 to 307, you're going to go and you're going to, you know, say hello to the moms and dads. From 307 to 309, you're going to say hello to the to the aunts and uncles. And and so like at Alabama, it's way more structured. So you get less time. And so I think the time that he spent with Heupel and just hanging out and Joey Halsley, as that relationship has gotten better and better and better, um, I think really was the uh, thing that's kind of put this in the position that it's in right now. All right. Nashville 615's last question. Rob, we'll go to you. Honest take on the Alabama hire. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I just think, I mean, no matter what you did there, I mean, it's it was going to be probably criticized unless you, you know, maybe if you got Dan Lanning or, you know, got D'Amico Ryans to come home against all odds. I mean, I just... I mean, I'm not blown away by it, but I mean, the guy just coached the national championship game, so obviously he's 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 a very competent football coach. But 
you know, I just I wonder about culture. I wonder about the fit, and I just I just wonder how he's going to do when, you know, like like right now, the, the port, when they're getting you know kids are, you know, hurtling towards the portal down yeah. there. I mean, how is he going to hold up, you know, with with the public, with the fans? I mean, how much criticism is he going to come under? I mean, I, I think anybody, even if Dan Lanning had gone there, I mean, I think you'd see kids leaving or commits not wanting to come there. So. You know, I, I give out. I mean, I think Alabama made, made a really good hire, but but anybody, you know, you brought in there is going to be open to criticism. I mean, AP, don't you think so? I mean, I don't think it's a great fit culturally, but I mean, the guy checks all the boxes you could want for you know professional competence. Yeah, I, just, I mean, again, he's one as you said, checks all those boxes. You know, you just don't know what he's going to be like culturally. And, and you know, sometimes somebody's came in from you know saving one from Michigan State to LSU. And fit just fine, right? And then went to the NFL for a couple of years, and then went to Alabama and, and did that powder keg, and and was and was you know just fine. Um, then you've got Brian Harson, who comes to Auburn and is a disaster. Um, so like you just don't know yet. Now the one thing I think that they, they, all coaches they, they want to go at their own pace, but in this era, you know, like whether it's an admin trying to fill a vacancy because you, know, you really don't have. You can't do what Tennessee did in 2017 in this era, or you'll get just destroyed. Um, but even for coaches, once they're in, like bringing the players in for a meeting two nights ago and preaching patience, just be patient with us. Like <laughs> players, man, they don't want to hear that, man. They want to go. They want to make a decision. I mean, like, you know, Caleb Downs sat in that meeting where they preach patience. And now two days later, Caleb Downs is in the portal. Um, you know, so, I mean, like, I think that, you know, it's one of those things where you, you just won't know until he starts coaching ball and kind of builds the team the way he wants it. The problem is, is Alabama fans are going to have no patience for anything, no matter who they hired. It wouldn't have mattered. It would not have mattered. No, I mean, I mean, nobody has any patience, but particularly them, given the success that they have had, yeah. there's absolutely zero patience there. All right, we've got a bunch more questions. We're going to get to as many of them as we can here in the Mailbag Podcast. But first, a message from our good friends at Exterior Home Solutions. It's one of those phone calls that you hate to get from your kids. Hey, Dad, a tree fell on my house. Well, we got that call a couple of weeks back from our daughter at her house here. And the first call that I made was to Exterior Home Solutions. The peace of mind that they gave me and us as a family when they came out here and came up with a plan, got us connected with the right people, is absolutely priceless. Use the same people that I use. In that time of need, Exterior Home Solutions. And again, we thank Exterior Home Solutions for all that they do for VolQuest and all that they do, more importantly, for the people of East Tennessee. Give them a call for any of your exterior home needs. All right, let's go to Athron here, who's got a trio of questions. We'll start with this one, AP. Not a prospect-related question, but we've seen it this cycle. Why is it so important to the kids to get a Haynes Fawcett edit versus one that the school sends out? And the second question is, how would you rate the running back rooms pass blocking going into next season? Well, it's definitely something they have to fix um, and, and get better at. Um, you know, Samson's got to continue to improve. Cam Seldon, I think, can be that guy. Um, I thought Cam Seldon had a really good bowl game. The only time he, you know, kind of struggled just a fraction was on the short yardage stuff, and that's because he came in too high. And, again, I think that's something that's easy to fix. Um, as for Hayes Fawcett, if you look at the number of followers Hayes Fawcett gets on Instagram and X, because it's massive. And so when he does your announcement and you're tagged in the post on Instagram and he's in it, you're getting all that rub. 
and you get all those interactions and 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 all that stuff and that matters to kids and it's become like kind of a rite of passage right i mean why do all all kids that are 8 to 12 want to drink prime why you know i mean they all want to drink prime because all the other kids are doing it that, that's the same thing with here like it, it's become one of those things where you know you want him to do your edit and you know hayes is very particular about not over flooding his Instagram with too many posts. So, and a lot of times it ends up being like, Hey, you know, I'll do it, but you know, I, you know, you gotta wait till this time. Then you have a pecking order of portal kids, you know, all-star games. And for Hayes, like it's, it's a money maker. I mean, like at the end of the day, like, you know, he makes money off his Instagram and off his ex account. It, it, it's part of his revenue. And so, you know, like for him, it's easier to drop out a top 10 list or top 20 list and have 20 logos on, on the graphic. And then all 20 fan bases are interacting with said post. than it is even a commitment, you know, because you're talking about one fan base. So, um, you know, I, I think it's just more than anything that all the, all the kids are doing it now. And until they find their new Avenue, he will continue to be the guy that kids roll through to make their edit. If they can do it, if he'll, if he's willing to do it. All right, let's move on here to Wiremaker, who clearly was blocked in or snowed in and, and came up with this uh, <laughs> set of questions here. But these are fun, so let, let's let's go with his snow day questions. We'll start one. What allowed Denarius Moore to make the leap and become the best receiver on the Tennessee football team in 2010? Uh, this is not going to make some Tennessee fans happy, Rob Lewis, but I'm going to go Lane Kiffin. I, I don't argue with that. I mean, the guy – I mean. Look what Link what Link Kiffin did with Jonathan Crompton that that you know that year I I, I still think is one of the most impressive things we've seen from a, a Tennessee coaching standpoint and I'll throw David Cutcliffe in there with with what he did with Eric Gange also I mean I think those were two examples where you know you, you saw guys at, at the quarterback position who had lost some confidence and, and and stopped being productive or not being as productive as they were earlier um, you know came two two coaches came in and really turned their careers around. Yeah, I, I think for me, Lane Kiffin and Kippy Brown, the two best wide receiver coaches I've I've seen work in person. I, I think I think Lane Kiffin's been a successful receivers coach. He's made he's made receivers a lot of money everywhere he's been. Uh, Grant, what held Jabari Davis back from being an All SEC running back? <laughs> You're asking me. I, that's a great question. I don't know because I was probably in what seventh grade when, when Jabari oh, Davis <laughs> was failing <laughs> was failing to gain all SEC accolades. I have no idea. You're going you're going to fill in the blanks for me on that one. I, think, I just think it's speed, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's his lack of I think it's his lack of speed. I'm not sure he was always the most focused guy early in his career, even though he had some success, you know, in, in a limited role his freshman year at Florida. But I think overall it was his speed. It, it was his speed. Jabari, um, Jabari yeah. had like eight touchdowns in the swamp, so he don't need all SEC. Any any one two games down there, if I'm not mistaken. My, so that's good enough for him. And there will never be a never there will never be an, an a better um, picture than him on that train track in his high school football jersey. Yep, he, the the J, the J train was marketed very well for sure. Um, how good could Jansen Jackson have been? As good as he wanted to be. Um, and that's 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 simply put there. He was an unbelievable athlete who, again, struggled with a lot of focus. Uh, what turned Nick Reves into accumulating 108 tackles and finishing fifth in the SEC? Rob Lewis, Monty Kiffin? 
I'd say that's probably a pretty good one. But also, I mean, what was what Tennessee's depth looked like at, at linebacker at, at that point? I mean, I'm not going to pretend to remember exactly, but I, I feel like there had to be, you know, some some guys exactly, you know, maybe not exactly pan out for for Nick to have played his. And, and this is no slap on Nick at all. I mean, you talk about guys doing making the most out of what they had. I mean, he's at the top of the list. All right, and la- his last question: Jalen Hurd was best suited to play football at what position? I'm going to say running back because if he had stayed focused, he'd be the all-time leading rusher in Tennessee school history. Yep. I mean, he ran too high. I get that. He was too tall maybe. But, I mean, heck, heck, it's not like he wasn't a good running back. He was a really good running back who decided he didn't want to play running back anymore. Um, Logan Bartlett's got a question here. Three-plus years in, what coaches have pleasantly surprised you with their recruiting prowess and who have been the best recruiters you've seen on Tennessee staff over the years that are not here currently? meaning you can't say Rodney Garner, the answer to that question from Logan. AP, let's start with you. What three coaches or what coaches in three years have surprised you as recruiters? Um, I, I will go Jerry Mack because I think when he first got here, um, I think the head was swimming a little bit. He's coming from, from Rice. He's coming from North Carolina Central. And, uh, you know, it's just different recruiting at this, uh, at this level. And I think, you know, his room has quietly become one of Tennessee's best rooms. Um, he's done a really nice job. He connects well with kids and uh, just kind of has a, a really laid back approach, right? Like, you know, I think if, you know, if a kid went in the portal, okay, let's go get another one. Like, I mean, I don't think there's not a lot of panic with Jerry Mack. Um, I think BJ, um, same thing. And uh, Kelsey Pope has continued to come on. And I think Kelsey, I think the sky is the limit for Kelsey Pope. I really do. I think he can be really elite as a recruiter. But again, He's in the first couple of years of learning. And I think that's where I kind of like, I think he took a huge step from year one to year two. I think he's going to take an even bigger step going into 2025 cycle. I think he will have an opportunity to maybe be Tennessee's best recruiter in this next cycle. So, um, you know, I, I think he continues to get better. And I mean, even a guy like Alec Ablin, who I thought got his teeth kicked in last year, has already picked up a really nice get because he built a relationship with a kid who had some Tennessee ties, who lives in the state of Texas, that plays at one of Texas' best uh, programs in South Lake Carroll. And, um, you know, so, I mean, he's learning. So, um, you know, I, I think there's some things, and we all talked about CHOP in the Monday Night Chat. Um, coach Harbin does a fantastic job for a non-on-the-field coach. I mean, what he gets done is super, super, super impressive. As for coaches who are no longer here that were good recruiters or, or were impressive recruiters, if you go back to before he was an offensive coordinator, what Randy Sanders did in the state of Louisiana uh, was certainly impressive. Arian Foster. Yeah, he, he stood on the table for Arian Foster, um, wanted him, uh, and obviously recruited some quarterbacks to Tennessee as well. Trooper Taylor, Rob Lewis, was an effective recruiter. And I'll tell you another sneaky good recruiter for Tennessee that I, I thought was a good recruiter, Greg Atkins. Greg Atkins. Atkins was a really good recruiter. Well, I mean, he was Phillips. Am I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I remembering correctly, Hubbard? He was Phillips' recruiting coordinator at the time, like had that title on staff. I think he did at one point. You know, he was a tight oh, ends coach and then became the o- O-line coach. He was just, I mean, Jesse Mahalona, um, Albert and he, Wayne, Yeah, he could find some guys. I mean, yeah, it wasn't he, just, you know, it wasn't just being able to close. It was a bit, you know, finding some – you know, under the radar guys like like that. You know, Albert Toledo. <laughs> that's one of the. Can you remember that recruitment? You remember, like, we didn't have a phone number for Albert. We had a phone number for like a, a friend. <laughs> oh yeah, had a friend. 
not a parent, not a coach, but like yeah. a peer. And you got and you got Jesse Mahalona at his girlfriend's in Las Vegas for that commitment. Because he, he was not in Hawaii because his dad was working like on a oil rig or something. It was it was there was always something like that, it seemed like with guys that Greg Atkins were recruiting. I will also add in sneaky good Zach Azani. You look mm-hmm. at the receivers that are right now in the NFL, um, you know, whether it's Jawan, Callaway, um, you can go right down the list um, with some of those receivers that were on that 2017 team, 2018 team. Um, Zach Azani was responsible for a lot of those guys being in orange. I mean, yep. Getting get in the way back machine. Mike Berry was, was a pretty, pretty solid recruit. I mean, you look at all these guys didn't pan out, but remember how, what level of recruit guys like, you know, uh, Jason Respert was or Sean Young or, you know, Michael Munoz. I mean, Tennessee, some of those early 2000 offensive lines, you know, probably had everybody that was a starter was probably a top, you know, 200 prospect yeah, at one yeah. point. Yep, certainly. Recruited the Midwest effectively for Tennessee. All right, Brzee's got a question here. Uh, Grant, since Rick Barnes can't coach forever, let's say hypothetically he retires in the next three to five years, give me some of your early candidates to replace him. <laughs> your favorite kind of question. You mean and dust off my hot board? Yeah, yeah, dust off your, dust off your hot board. Give me, give me your 2030 hot board because, I mean, everybody knows who the best coaches in college basketball are going to be in 2029-2030. Well, here's the thing. There's going to be two forces at work here when Rick retires. There's going to be Rick Barnes wanting to bring in a Rick Barnes guy to replace him, and there's going to be Danny White, who I don't think will want to bring in a, necessarily just a Rick Barnes guy to replace Rick Barnes, somebody from Rick's tree. Um, so I think from Rick's point of view, you'd want – Rob Lanier or Kim English or somebody along those lines. I think from Danny White's point of view, um, however many years down the road this is, I don't know where he'll be at the time. Um, maybe it's too soon for Tennessee fans, but I would look at Dusty May and what he's built at Florida Atlantic and the fact that he works for Danny's brother. And there's a lot of connection there between those two. You know what you're getting uh, out of that. So I think those are the two things you got to think about. I don't know who the coaches are. I don't know what names you could throw out there at this point that would be realistic because you have no idea what the timing is going to be and when this could happen. Nobody thought Saban was going to retire um, the last week when he did. So who knows when it happens? I have no clue. Um, but I think those are the two forces at work. Is it going to be a Rick Barnes guy or is it going to be somebody that Danny goes out and, and plucks himself? I'd say the only way it'll be Rick Barnes guy, and this could happen, I could see him doing it, is if he retires like in, in June. Yes. You may right. I can 100% see him doing that but uh and i, I don't mean I, I mean i'm not saying danny has any animosity towards rick at all at all not in the least i mean i think they have a great relationship i just don't think that you know rick's gonna have any say in his replacement and you know i'm not sure and, I, and I think if that if that timing did happen where it was pretty quick turnaround for the season about to start you could see an interim kind of thing where it's a, a one season thing and then they start fresh with a, a coaching search yeah, I, I don't see in that. your own guy and to go through the whole thing i, I just i don't know it, it would be weird if it, the timing worked out that way it would hurt uh if the timing worked out that way but it, it's certainly not unrealistic yeah i, I hubbard you, you know danny better than any of us i don't see him getting held hostage like like that you know even if even and this you know this is all speculation even if rick did try to you know manage it to where you know he could force feed it, you know, his choice in there. I, I think, I think Danny would do what Grant would just said and just name an interim and do it his way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, who knows what, how that's going to happen and who knows how long, I mean, I don't know that Rick Barnes is going to slow down. I don't, I don't think he thinks about it, man. I you really know, I, do I not. I'm with you. I don't. And, and I'll tell you this. I think he likes this basketball team. He's currently coaching. 
because I think the personality fits a lot of what he's looking for. You got some underdogs, right? And, and you got you got some football robot or some basketball robots out there. I don't think he's got a ton of off the court drama he's having to deal with. I think he likes this the makeup of this basketball team for for sure. Uh, Brzee had a second question, AP. If this youth movement in the secondary fails, does Willie Martinez get the benefit of the doubt due to the youth, or will he be uh, a guy that is, uh, quote, back on the hot seat since he was working on an expiring contract um, this past season? Uh, Well, I mean, Willie has uh, got a new contract, and it's a multi-year deal. So, um, you know, I I think you're always – even the guys that have multi-year deals, they're always working year to year because – you know, college football is a uh, big money game, and you know, if if a coach feels you know like he's got to make a change, then he makes a change. I think, you know, a lot of this boils down to you know the development of the defensive line. They got a lot of those guys back. James Pierce is back, obviously, and uh, you look at the, the course of the season. That secondary was pretty good when Desi was getting all the pressure early in the year, and then uh, when the holding calls never came about middle part of the year, and they started the team started figuring out how to just you know, armed high, you know, Tyler Barron and James Pierce, uh, the secondary wasn't quite as good. So um, I think it works kind of hand in hand, but, uh, you know, I think more it's more just a, a you know, a year to year deal, but, you know, Will, Willie's back and, and has a multi-year deal. All right. Two questions here from Cade's Kovals. Um Thoughts on the second half offensive issues this season in football. Was it st- a statistical anomaly uh, that we shouldn't worry about or sign of something else? Uh, that's, I guess the, offensive struggles in the second half. And the second question is, with Saban retiring, Harbaugh likely to the NFL and rumors of NFL teams wanting Kirby Smart, what will it take for the NCAA to make significant changes to the calendar? Uh, Let's start with the first one, because I think the second one is a a little more of an in-depth conversation. Uh, Thoughts on the second half offensive issues this season in football? I I don't know that I I thought, you know, boy, they got a lot of second. I mean, they had a bad second half at Alabama. Um, but I don't know, Grant, that I'd sit there and went, boy, this is a really bad second-half football team. Maybe that's not fair, but, I mean, the, the, the Missouri game, they were bad for four quarters, right? Yeah, and it's hard for me to judge the 23 season because of what we saw the previous two years. And they, basically, they need to get a quarterback that they trust and that can execute in this offense at a higher clip than Joe Milton did. And, and they played Joe all year, and they said he gave him the best chance to win and all that. And I believe that stuff. But I, th- I need to see what it looks like in 24 before I think there's any big-time t- big issues or, or long-term problems or lack of depth or, or whatever the issues were. I think they just need to get better at the quarterback position and get back to, you know, Nico, in theory, could be as good as Hinton Hooker could be um, based on how highly he was rated and all that stuff coming out and what people think of him. I need to see what 2024 looks like before I make any sweeping judgments about how bad the issues are from 2023 going forward, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they got to throw – they got to work the middle of the football field in the passing game. I mean, they were an, they were a hash to the boundary type team. They're going to have to work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And get back to having some confidence to throw the ball in the middle of the field. As for his second question, and we've talked about this some, what will it take to for the NCAA to make significant changes to the calendar? Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't. I'm. I don't know how you. There's pros and cons. The calendar's got to be fixed. I think every coach will say that. And this is the biggest issue: is everybody says it's got to be fixed, but nobody's sure how to fix it. Right? Because here's the thing. Let, let's go under this theory. You're going to move signing day back to its original form in February. Right? You're going to take away the December signing day. Well, how many kids, Rob Lewis, are going to get cut from a scholarship opportunity because a coach takes a transfer kid in his spot. And how does that change kids recruitment in the month of January when all of a sudden you're not signed yet? And the coach is saying, Hey, we're battling the 85, but Hey, there's, I know that's a developmental offensive lineman, but I can go get this guy who started 14 games at the power five level last year. How does that change? And how does that, how does that benefit the kid, the high school kids in February would be my question about moving it back there. Well, and the say, and the, and the flip side is how many guys, that you know that you've had committed that were Plan B for you know a bigger school or a school you know that they want to you know, end up decommitting from you because they they haven't signed they don't have to ask out of a letter of commit because you know school A lost the transfer you know it's just it's not moving it to February I don't I don't think it fixes anything and I think it just like what you're saying Hubber I think it opens up a can of worms for for kids getting their scholarships pulled or for for schools losing guys because you know, prospects are decommitting and going somewhere that now suddenly has room because of transfers. I just, I, when the semester ends in December, I mean, that's not going to change. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Semesters are going to end in, in December. And when that happens, I mean, kids are going to, kids are going to transfer. I mean, you're, you're not going to, that's not going to change. I mean, December is going to be a crapshoot and it's going to stay a crapshoot. And moving signing day doesn't, doesn't do anything for the, for the portal. Which no. It, it doesn't fix the portal at all. And if you move it to August or September one, then you're dealing grant. You're dealing with the fact that you got coaching changes throughout the season. How reluctant are kids going to be to want to sign that early? Now I know you can get out of whatever, but I mean, how valuable is a, is a signature September one with, with coaching changes going on out there and how reluctant are going to be, are teams going to be reluctant to sign guys September one, because it potentially takes away, any other depth number? Because what you need in September one may be different than what you need in December. Am, am I crazy thinking that the unlimited transfers is just as bad of a problem as the calendar oh, is? Way worse. Way because, worse. Because I, and I don't think this is a kids today problem. I think if the NFL worked on year to year contracts and could be renegotiated every year, there would be team, there would be players that were playing for four teams in four years. And it would be just the same that we're seeing in college football. And like, I don't understand the unlimited transfers. Like one free transfer, that's fine. If you graduate, you can transfer. I think that's fine. If you have a coaching change, that's fine. That's up to three transfers for one kid if it played out that way during the course of his college. I don't understand the uh, unlimited transfer because it seems like that creates just so much more chaos when it's not necessary. When you already had one free transfer, um, you you could create some of those caveats if, if stuff happens situationally for some of these players, but more than the just I don't I don't know how to fix the calendar. I don't know if anybody does like y'all are talking about. You can talk about it, but it's another thing to propose ideas. I think you gotta go back to, you know, one free transfer and then try to fix it from there because it's just gonna keep trans kids are gonna keep leaving because they have those unlimited moves. See September one it provides kind of an interesting dynamic because how many times hubs over the years have you seen any coaching staff you know here everywhere where they like a kid a lot, then all of a sudden, you know, they like a senior tape that much. I mean, you know, or or don't like the kid, don't want him, 
And then the senior, oh, hello, that kid's senior tape. Let's go hard on him now. <laughs> it's like, you know, they get so caught up in kind of, you know, being quick to judge both ways that like a September 1, I think it'd be interesting just because you might sign some kids where you go, man, I wish I hadn't signed that kid. Or, or you tell a kid, you know, we'll have you sign in February. And then the kid goes, wait a minute, you know, well, what's that mean? You know, I mean, like there's just some dynamics to that. It would be fascinating to watch. Well, no question. And then, you know, you had Kirby Smart saying, you know, that, that you, what you were saying, Austin, I think on the podcast a month and a half ago, two months ago about, hey, you can't transfer until after your second year. You, you got to do two years somewhere before you can transfer, which is never going to hold up in court, for God's sakes. I mean, no. we're, we're, in, we're in multi – I mean, you can transfer multiple times a year now. A week. Multiple times a week. My mom, I mean, look at Tyler Barron. He's everywhere, man. Well, look, I just want to say, look, look at Tyler Barron. I mean, he's been committed to two schools now, and he can transfer again at the end of spring practice. When the portal reopens, and, 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 and maybe he will. You never know. With Tyler. Bring him home, AP. Bring him home. <laughs> that will be bringing him home. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, that was. I mean, that was. I mean, he's strictly trying to make a business deal, right? I mean, that, yeah, AP. That one feels totally about where am I going to get the most money, most money. In my last year of college football? You don't go to Louisville unless it's about money, and that's no knock on Louisville. But let's call it what it is. They're a basketball school who's. Decided to get a little bit more serious in football with Jeff Brom. But at the end of the day, they're in the ACC and they're a basketball school. Denny Crum and walking through the door up there. So like, you know, but Brandon Hunley Hatfield is and Tyler Barron, those two up there together. Yeah. And that's where Tyler Barron lands. And the question of the calendar is a, is a never ending topic. I mean, that that's one that we'll be talking about in the off season as well, because it is a problem, and it's a problem that doesn't have an immediate fix. It doesn't have a quick fix. It doesn't have an easy fix, and it doesn't have a fix that anybody's going to be able to agree upon, which is going to make – I mean, next year it's even going to be more challenging when you think about it. You're going to be in the middle of playoff games while all that is going on and decisions that you have to make. Uh, you're, going to be playing, you're going to be playing playoff games or preparing for playoff games, which yeah. is crazy. But that's the world that they that's been created, and it's not gonna it's not slowing down. It's not stopping. Is my point. The the, the one last thing about Tyler is like like I I know we probably got some extra money to go to Louisville. I would I would if I wasn't stay, staying here, I would have stuck with Ole Miss because you're playing beside Walter. You're playing you're playing opposite of the the, the Prince kid from Florida. Like I mean, you were gonna have other pieces around you, right? Now at Louisville, you're the guy, yeah, and now but, everybody's I mean, gonna scheme to stop you. Yeah, but I mean, listen. I mean, if he was, if it were going to be about that, stay here. You got James Pierce on the other side here. You got three, four seniors in the in the interior. My point is, for three years, he's been looking for the best business deal he could make, and he finally decided to go somewhere. And now it's truly become Grant just about making the best financial business deal. That's what he's. Doing. I was going to say. I'll, I'll say this about business decisions respect for isaiah bond for calling it a business decision to leave alabama and then his next post was from the front seat of a lamborghini and the geotag was austin texas like that's a good opportunity obviously texas in a good spot right now but call it what it is the kid wanted a lambo he could get a lambo in texas go to texas it's it's like live golf you want to go play live golf great just say you wanted the money don't say you're doing it for the betterment of the game And you want to no, wear you want to take the you money. want to wear shorts and and play fifty four holes yeah. and get five hundred million. Just call it what it is. Call it what it is. I mean, hundred yeah. percent. 
Right. And that's exactly what Tyler Barron has done and many others have done, as Grant mentioned there with Isaiah Bond. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Mailbag Podcast presented by our good friends at Exterior Home Solutions. For Rob Lewis, Grant Ramey, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.